not everybody's going to go out there and write a Google review or something on Yelp. And usually if they do, they're mad and it's a negative one. So it's nice if that negative one will come through with your survey process first, and then you can address it. You can call the client, the closer can reach out to the client, and you can make it right. Acquiring a new customer can cost five times more than retaining an existing one. It makes good business sense then to focus on how your company is maintaining current client relationships. But how do you make sure that all your customers are really satisfied? I spoke with Cindy Koval, the president and CEO of Title Smart, a title company she started with her sister just before the 2008 recession. Through tenacious relationship building and an obsession over customer experience, she's now created a business that employs over 100 people across several locations in Minnesota. She shared with me some of the secrets to her success. I'm Amanda Farrell, and this is Title Talks. Cindy, um, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking time to share your knowledge and insight on building a successful title business and what it takes to really drive customer satisfaction. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's really fun to be here. Before we dive into uh, some of the questions that I have here, I, I'd like to get a little more information on your background and title and you know, how you got started and what it is it that you love about the title industry and what makes you stay in the title industry? Well, I started in the business back when I was 18. So my parents were realtors and they would drag us to open houses on Sundays and we'd go with my mom and my brother would go with my dad. Very boring. And um, then as we started getting older, my mom moved into the mortgage industry. So I went to college for one year. I was kind of lost, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And my mom's like, well, hey, title company is hiring. And so I went and had an interview. I got hired. The next day, I started. And I was very young. Just I was one of those young uh, graduates from high school, so I was still 17 when I graduated. So by the time I started working at the title company, I was just newly 18. And they asked me if I wanted to work in the orders department or be a closing assistant. And then when they explained the difference, I'm like, oh, heck no. I don't ever want to be one of those closing assistants. That sounded really scary. But within a year, I was over at the closing office as a closing assistant. And six months later, I was actually doing closings. I don't know how. But then over the years, I worked at different companies. And eventually, I was hired by a, a big real estate broker in the Twin Cities who then um, hired me to help them open their title company. And we did that. So after five years, I was like, hmm, I could do this for myself. So I just kind of jumped in with both feet. I told my sister who works with me at the same time, I said, we're leaving. We're starting our own company. And she's like, no, I like it here. And I'm like, nope. So I went and I just I incorporated the business. And within a month, we were open. And then the bottom fell out of the market. But I love the industry. I love especially working with that wonderful her first time home buyer. That makes it all worth it in the end. It sounds like from the beginning you were pretty customer focused. Can you talk a little bit about your method of collecting feedback, what an NPS report is, and what do you do once you get that feedback? So for years I felt like we only received really good feedback from our customer when something went wrong. 
And so we decided that we were going to establish our own loyalty department. And my daughter had worked for a company where she learned all about MPS. So I started doing some research. I found that no other title companies were signed up doing it. So I had a hard time kind of establishing where our score should be. So we just made up our own. So now what we do is after every closing, we have an area where we compile the data from the closings of that week. And then the next week we send everybody out a survey monkey survey. We tell the client at the closing that it's going to be coming and just ask them to give us their best honest feedback. Then we're able to go and people that actually respond to that survey, we're able to compile that data and do a ranking and see how we fall in the score. And then the cool thing is, and you'll be able to see from the download, is that there's always spots for people to write comments. And so if they had a really great experience, they can write those comments. And we share those every month with all of our staff. Then we break it down. We can add those as testimonials on our website. And we can also do like little social media posts just promoting one specific closer who had a really great customer week that week. It also, what is huge is it helps me find out who's falling between the cracks. Not everybody's gonna go out there and write a Google review or something on Yelp. And usually if they do, they're mad and it's a negative one. So it's nice if that negative one will come through with your survey process first, and then you can address it. You can call the client, the closer can reach out to the client, and you can make it right. So that to me was really important and then being able to also drive employee momentum. Everybody in our company gets excited when they see those surveys and then catching those ones that might become a bad review if they're not addressed. Every month I'm given a chance to catch somebody that may have fallen through the cracks. I do have another system where with SoftPro, I'm sure there's a lot of title companies that are using that. We have it set up with a product that we do texting and notifications to our clients with this pizza tracker. So at the very end, I can, or the closer, or the closing team can just click an option and it sends the client saying, you're officially now closed. And then it also says, please give us a Google review. And then it pops them a link. So now you can use that to go and build your Google presence. And then, of course, it's important to have somebody who's watching all those because even if you get a bad review and it's not your fault, you can go on and respond in a very positive, professional manner. So somebody else who comes back later and is watching that will say, well, gosh, that client is really kind of wackadoo and, and look how nice the title company was. Yeah. Are you familiar with, um, I think it's a book called um hug your haters or, or something like that, where it's basically making sure that you are able to control that narrative and the response of negative reviews. It's better to know what people are saying about you and to respond to it in a way that is friendly and professional and will leave a lasting impression for the person that's reading that review. And you might basically win a customer through that interaction. So I, I'm curious to know what, what thoughts you have on, on that kind of concept to, to take the time to actually monitor what the sentiment is around their company online. I think it's critical to the business. I just had it happen to me a month ago where all of a sudden one of my team members came to me and said, oh, we had this bad review and we missed it. And I'm like, how did we miss it? So I ended up writing a really nice, thought out 
answer to the client. And then the client ended up emailing me. And then we went back and forth with emails, explaining things and trying, and I just worked through it with him. And then the last email I got that was like two weeks later, I said, I just want to let you know that I really enjoyed the fact that you wrote me a response and then engaged with me in email. And I felt like you were really genuine and I'm deleting that review. And he deleted it. So be genuine, care, that will make all the difference. It's just those little things, those little tiny touches that will change everything. And you said that most people you know in the title industry, they're not doing this process of sending those requests for reviews and for surveys. Uh, you, you mentioned SoftPro, and I'm curious to know what, how difficult was it to set up that system and to continue to implement it? Do you think that that's a big hurdle for a lot of people and why they don't do it? I think that anything with technology can be a hurdle for some title companies because a lot of companies were used to the old school way of doing things and everything has changed so fast in the last five years with e-recording and searches and e-transfer forms. So my feeling is that if you are going to stay in the world of pencil and paper, then you're going to probably get erased right out of your industry. So those things are so important, but I think I like to take off little bites at a time. So for me, it was pretty uh, it was a big mountain because we were using a different software. So first we needed to change the software and get our whole company up and running. And that was a hundred and some people. Then we added the next piece and then the next piece, we just did an enhancement on it. So we're taking these little baby steps that are making a huge difference and solving a lot of pain points for our customers and for us. Do you think that SoftPro contributes to the customer experience? I think for us and what we want to accomplish, it makes us better so that we can provide a better customer experience, but I don't think that the customer cares either way. And I yeah. think a lot of the other softwares have the same same capability. I looked at a lot of different ones and I had the same problems with different ones and different problems with another. And sometimes you just have to make a choice and hopefully you chose good for your company. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of the times too, I think people choose a tool thinking that it's magically going to solve a lot of the problems that they have when it might be more of an issue of an internal process and really trying to evaluate that and hone in on where the gaps are there because a tool is only as good as the person who's using it and if they're using it in a way that it's meant to be used into its full capacity. So that's another thing to keep in mind too when you're you know, thinking of switching software because you think your title production software, because you think that that's the big problem when it, it might be something else. I can launch all the products I want to make the company better, but every once in a while I'll have this little team and this little team and I'll find out they're not using it. So I have to continue to stay on top of those little tiny details. So one of your mottos is it's the little things that make the big difference. How does that inform your customers' experience and other business decisions that you make? I make pretty much every decision around that concept because it's always that little tiny detail that the customer notices where they're like, oh, and that's where I want them to be. So when they come in to my office and somebody treats them like a king, or just really makes them feel special after they've been packing all night and trying to get 
things ready for a closing, that could be the difference between them remembering who their title company was. So they could say, oh, I like that title company. I want to use them again and not. And I've, I've had that dialogue before with customers when I've been doing a closing at the table. I'll be like, what's my name? <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh, Kathy. And I'm like, wrong. It's Cindy. I want them to remember that for when they fill out the survey or for down the road when they're refinancing and they're like, oh, I want my loan officer. I want to use that title company again. Those little tiny gestures make them remember that. And so when they come in and I hand them, you know, a little can of cookies or uh, and I bring my real estate agent a little bottle of nail polish and say, bring this home to your wife. I know you guys are going on vacation next week and she's going to want this in her suitcase. It's just that personal little gesture. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not, you know, totally aware of you know, what sort of interactions a closing agent or a title agent has with the person who's actually coming in to sign. But it seems like you only really have a very brief moment of time to make that first impression. Yeah, and sometimes you never even really get to interact very much with the client except for if they walk through the door. So if I do get a chance to have a phone call with them or have an email exchange with them, I need to make the most of it. And a lot of times, even when somebody's calling in for a quote and I pick up and take that call, I'll ask them, why did you pick us? And they're like, well, because you responded so fast. Or you wrote me back such nice emails. And the other company I didn't hear from for three days. Really? It took me two seconds to do that. Otherwise, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, I'm the president of the company. I'm too fancy to answer a quote call. Whatever it takes, I will do for the business. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, a great sentiment to have as a leader to to lead by example and to not think that you're above those tasks that you expect other people below you to handle. Is your survey specific for buyer, seller, realtor, each side and the lender? Do you do you segment that information when you're collecting customer feedback from people? It's just for buyers and sellers or for refinance. So it's just settlement transaction specific. It's very short. It'll say some really general questions like, um, who is your closer? And then there's a drop down so they can choose. And things like, did you have a good closing with us? Did, and then they have to rate it from, I think, 1 to 10. And would you consider referring us to others? Was there something you liked about the transaction or didn't like? There's just some really general questions that are even built into SurveyMonkey and that you can't change. And so what you're trying to find out is when the customer is looking at that, are they giving you a ranking that's just like, eh, that's just kind of a middle, that's like a five out of one to 10. If it's below five, it's a detractor, which means it's like, oh, they just kind of have a negative final experience. And then answers over that are positive. So sometimes you have to look at that feedback and you see that you got just kind of a, eh, and then for that answer, and then they'll say, there'll be a spot where they can do a comment. And, and it's like, well, why did you feel that way? And they'll be like, oh, because I don't really know anyone I would ever refer title to. So for them, the response wasn't really negative towards us. It was just very indifferent. And so it wouldn't be one that I would consider that I need to call the client and be like, why would you refer us to somebody? So, but if somebody 
says to you, well, gosh, I didn't like that my closing was 20 minutes further than it should have been. And I don't understand that. Now I can pick up the phone and call the client and go, well, here's why we had to schedule the closing. And then have, you know, change that final tone of how things turned out for them. Yeah. And that follow-up question is really important to put it in context, like you were saying. So this past year with COVID, uh, things have been interesting to say, say the least. There's been a lot of changes that title companies have had to adapt to. We're seeing record numbers of title orders and closings. And I'm curious to know how you and your team prioritize a fast response time and how you maintain a reputation for having a lightning fast response time. I feel like I have to split that a little bit. So yes, COVID was crazy. You know, there were moments where we were all kind of sitting there thinking, are we going to be an essential business? Are we going to be open? Does we have to close? And there was just a lot of variables, a lot of different questions. And we couldn't find masks and we didn't know how the signings were going to go and are people comfortable with this and there's no hand sanitizer. It was just a lot of things to deal with. And we just were like, okay, we got to be the first. Here's how we're going to do it. And right away, my uh, contractor came in and I said, you know, I'm kind of a picturing that we have like this little plexi screen. And he immediately went home and built me a prototype and brought it in. And I slapped our little logo decal up on it and put it in the closing room. And we have now 10 locations with three to four rooms in each location. So he went home and we couldn't buy enough plexiglass to build them for every single closing room. So there was a lot of things that were adjusted, but in the end, I just told my staff and our customers that we were just going to customize people's requests. If somebody didn't feel comfortable coming into our office, then they didn't have to. We'd sign them outside. If they didn't feel comfortable even coming to our building, then we would come to them. If they wanted us to sit outside on the car table, fine. That's what we would do. So we just tried to just deal with those unique situations and communicate with the clients the best we could. Now, your other part of your question about response time like no other. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I, I, have, I have 200 emails in my box. I can't respond to that client. But you need to kind of change your thinking on that because you could easily respond a very quick little response and then take the time to do a more thought out response later and that will satisfy the client. So a lot of times, let's say I'm at a sporting event with my kids. Then they, you know, somebody texts me, hey, I want to ask you a question about that file. Then I'm like, oh, great. I'm at a hockey game with my son, but I'll call you first thing in the morning. Boom. I mean, it was like a response. And they're like, geez, I didn't even think you were going to respond. And so it was just that little tiny gesture that made a big difference, but it didn't hijack my evening. And the same thing with emails. I have a lot of closers who are running around doing closings and they're like, well, how do you keep up with your email all day? And I'm like, well, I get in the car to go to my closing because we travel around the Twin Cities. And so I quickly whip through my email. Then I drive to my closing. I park, I whip through my email. I come inside, I settle my stuff down, get ready for my closing. I have a few minutes before the people get there. I whip through my email. Then I come out, I'm making copies. I quickly whip through my email. 
then I'm getting ready to leave to go back to my office, look through my email again. So I just do these little incremental quick responses and um, customers love it. And if you don't respond fast enough, one of your competitors will. Exactly. I'm curious to know if the increase in title orders has made it more difficult for you to keep up with customer satisfaction. I would say 2020 was a big challenge and a lot of little departments tend to get bottlenecked when you get this ebb and flow of title orders that come in and new files to open. And customers are, are used to getting their title work back just like that. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, you're getting so many new transactions and loan applications than you've ever had before and you're bottlenecked, why would you think we would not be? So I think a lot of it too is communicating and explaining. I've had some heartfelt conversations with lenders who want their title work back in two seconds. And I'm like, listen, I don't want to send you out a crap title commitment. I want to send you out a very good, clean product and not having to have you continually go back and revise it, add to it, and continually touching it. Because I like to do things with touch it once, touch it, done. Well, even before COVID happened, you know, there was a lot of chatter about remote light on notarization, other technical things that could be adopted within the title company and the title industry. Uh, how do you handle change and new technology? Have you, you know, turned to any sort of technology to help you manage any part of your title production workflow or dealing with clients? Well, I, I like to be the change. Be first. So when we first had the, the changes in our state, which would allow a remote online notary, so we got all set up for it and we started um, doing a few things and then a bunch of underwriters came back and said, oh no, you know, you really can't do this and you really can't do this, so, so back off. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to wait and let some of the other title companies and the underwriters and our association kind of lead us into the right direction. Then all this went down and I'm like, okay, well, here we go. Nobody had done anything. So I'm like, great, now we got to pioneer that too. So we just jumped in with both feet. We had already set up the platforms. We'd kind of done a few things with them. And I just had one point person that I worked with on it. So if we had a closer who needed one, they got everything to us. And the point person and I just saw it through and now we've had enough experience to where we're doing them every day now. So we're ready. But we had a lot of different things that were going on in our state where they were trying to do this kind of like Skype type notary. And then it didn't come fast enough. And then it finally came. And now the pandemic's hopefully almost over. So we just decided to just stick with Ron. But this also was true with when um, the CFPB when all we had all the settlement, you know, the, the closing disclosure and all those changes, I was like, we did the training, we jumped all over it and made sure that we were the ones to be the experts to answer the questions for our lenders and our realtors. And um, if you don't, you're going to get erased. Yeah, even, you know, even with um, regulatory change like TRID, what I've, you know, heard and read from people in the industry, it was a really great opportunity to actually pinpoint maybe some pitfalls in your process and to use technology to, and that time to prepare to basically improve it and make it better. And 
at the end of the day, that just makes your customer experience even better as well. So even for things that seem very painful and difficult like TRID, it can be a positive opportunity for change for the good. I agree. And most people in the, in the title industry liked it in the end because they didn't have all that last minute with the numbers. Things were pre-balanced. You didn't have borrowers showing up with the wrong amounts or not getting their money in and, and or knowing what they needed because they had to have that three days. Just the, the, I think the biggest challenge was the interpretation. There's always some lenders that will have a different interpretation on the timeline and what those change circumstances are. And so as a title company, we kind of have to roll with different things. Yeah, for sure. So in your book, Obsessed to Success, you say your secret is the power of connection, which you kind of touched on a little bit um, earlier. How do you continue those connections and make new ones in a remote environment? Well, I, you and I were kind of chatting about it even before the meeting. So I am in a BNI group and I do that remotely. I use a, I'm also in a Toastmasters group, which is through SPAR, which is the St. Paul Area Association of Realtors, which has their own group. And I, I was seeking that out to find that. So I'm in a group now with all these real estate agents and lenders. So that helps. And then I do a lot through social media with Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. I have a lot of access to different real estate professionals. And so I can basically court them through social media. And people are like, how does that work? And I'm like, well, okay. So let's say I want to work with this agent and we're friends on Facebook. I'll just use that one. And so I might, you know, comment on their stuff. I might like their posts or we might connect over horses something that we have in common and next thing you know a connection is born or through other friends like my real estate agents they know if i say hey can you introduce me to a couple of new clients i really am trying to build my book of business of course they will because you have this personal connection and i don't just want them to show up and come in and do a closing i know things about them I know that their son just had a baby and I make it my business to kind of follow them. I see them, I'll be like, oh, hey, I saw on Facebook that you did this or that. I just try to notice. Now, I know sometimes it's hard to remember everything. That's where you might just have to try. Just pay attention. And so, yeah, I, I think that's really important. You know, people talk about building relationships in this industry and how that's Basically, the secret to most people's success is driving that relationship. I, I'm curious to know your thoughts, you know, when it comes to social media or, or marketing in general, you know, what are your thoughts on outsourcing marketing? Do you think it's better to have someone in-house who understands the industry? Um, or do you think it's okay to work with a third-party team? Or do, do you think it takes like a mixed approach? How, how do you deal with like your marketing? I think you can start internal. So originally I was running our Title Smart Facebook page, which was which uh, was an extension of my own Facebook. And uh, you know, I tried. I didn't really know what I was doing. I tried to post something here and there. And then finally when I decided in 2015, I think it was that I was going to really commit and I found a company 
that was that that's what they did and I started teaching in my industry and they started teaching me social media and my daughter who was working here at the time who did HR she started learning about social media and today she now has her own social media company and she knows a lot about title and she has a lot of title company clients in other states so we just kind of built on that today i have a marketing person that does graphics and all kinds of stuff but still works with that offsite company because they're keeping up on scheduling software and building out of calendars there's all kinds of different things that when you don't know how that social media calendar works and you hear about it you're like oh wow that's kind of interesting it's not like you just think okay i need to think of something i'm going to post right now hmm. you know you you kind of plan it out month by month and week by week and having somebody who's an uh, uh an expert on that really makes it easier but you do have to watch i still approve all of our social media posts every friday they send them to me and i just quickly glance at them and say approved or give them some changes I think that's a good point that, you know, if you are going to be working with a third party marketing provider that you still are able to control what's being put out there and that you have some sort of, of method of approval. Yeah. And, you know, there are times when I'll just say, oh, I noticed a typo on there, but I still have it. I'm still I have all the logins in case I see something drastic like that. I can go in and just take it down. Yeah. For the most part, you you have to be the energy behind your company they don't know about your business so you you have to teach it to them over time and so i always look at other title companies in different states out of my market area and think what kind of stuff are they posting maybe something will inspire me to a new idea rarely does that happen because some of the stuff they post is so boring <laughs> it'll just be like what is title insurance and blah blah you know I'm sorry, but uh, you know, you you want your stuff to be like, you know, we're this, we're this, we get this energy, we're cool, we're we're fun, and and by the way, we're a title company. Yeah, and I think my suggestion would be actually instead of looking inside the title industry because you know there isn't a whole lot of content out there, look at what your favorite products are doing, your favorite companies are doing, and see how can I emulate that within my company. There's no reason to you know, restrict or constrict what you can do and how you can present your company online just because you are in the title industry. And just because there is this perception that it's a hidden industry or that it's a, a difficult industry to understand, you, you don't have to play into those stereotypes. Yes, and one little idea, you know, that's how you get those creative juices going. So I might just be scrolling through Pinterest or just, doing search words like title, settlement, things like that through Google and just seeing what kind of images pop up. And then I may see something and go, oh, okay, I think that is really cool, but I wanna do this, this, and this with it. Then I bring it back to somebody in my office and be like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And then it'll morph into something completely different. But the inspiration starts there. And sometimes, I'll start looking at our posts when I'm approving them and I'm like, these are fine, kind of boring, but fine. We need to change up the colors. I want you to change up the format. So every quarter or half year, I'm like, I'm bored now. Change, change, change. 
no redundancy. Just let's, you know, let's give the client something new so they're not just scrolling past our boring posts. But most, most, the most popular posts to this day are people posts in your office doing fun things. Staff modeling that they're twinning or tripling or <laughs> dress up day or Christmas every day at Title Smart. You know, just fun things. They, they, people connect. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, a behind the scenes kind of look is always fun to see. It it humanizes you and it, it helps build that connection, like you said. And also when it comes to, you know, doing something new and different in terms of the type of content that you're putting out there for your clients to consume and to learn from, you can essentially basically own you know, on Pinterest right now, there's not a whole lot of stuff related to title insurance. And so there is an opportunity there for you to build content and really own, you know, that key search term title insurance when a real estate agent goes to try and learn more about it. And, you know, like your, your audience is there. So it's just understanding how to cater to them and how to present the information to them in a way that is fun and digestible. So, in, in the title industry, you know, I mean, right now we're not slowing down, but it is cyclical and we can anticipate that there will be a slow season. I'm, I'm curious to know how you handle that from a financial perspective and still provide, you know, the same level of customer service. I save. <laughs> so this all comes from back when I worked for other title companies and Come January, they'd be like, okay, it's January. It's really quiet now, and, and we don't have any money, so you cannot have those pink post-its, and you can't order any pens, and you can't get any staples. And I would always look at my coworkers and think, are you kidding? We worked our butt off all summer. Where did all that money go? And so I really kind of, in my grand scheme of things as a title company, I save for the winter. That way come January after the holidays, I can start surveying the situation, looking and see where my staff holes will be for the spring. And I start hiring in January, February, March, so that I've everybody trained for spring. And there are times I have a motto that says, and it's even on my signature line of my email that says, we are always hiring great people. And sometimes someone will apply and I know I probably don't need them, but I'm not stupid. And so I always keep myself in a position where if I have to bring them on and support them for a few months before I can slide them into the right position, I will because that little investment was can be completely worth it to find the right person. And finding the right person, everybody knows in the title industry is key. So in short, I save and I plan so that I can hire people and support salaries during the slow time. And so speaking of staff, how do you maintain a positive company culture that translates into a positive customer experience? Probably the number one thing is I lead by example. And, you know, it's really hard for people to understand that or comprehend that. But I remember being at a title agent forum a couple years ago in Chicago, and I actually got ridiculed by some of the title company owners because I actually knew how to put in a CD and balance an Alta and cut checks and do a closing. 
And they're like, well, I don't have time for such things. And I'm like, well, seriously, how could you not have time for such things? Because those are areas of vulnerability or areas where if you have a closer that gets in a bind or needs help, or if somebody just quits and walks out the door, you can just pick up and continue on. Another thing would be our big parking lot here at our, our headquarters. I pull in, yes, I want to park in front. It's raining and I don't have an umbrella, but I still park in back because I'm just like them. Or when I come in and it's early and nobody's here yet, I'll make the coffee because I want some and it's okay. No job is too small. So I kind of just, I like to roll up my sleeves and be right in the trenches with our staff. I feel like I work for the staff. <laughs> it's my job to keep them happy and make them happy. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What are some of the things that were missing on the list there that you saw? I like to have just some one-to-ones with people or just notice things that maybe they wouldn't think I would notice. When I come into the office, I may see something on their social media and be like, oh, how was your son's new college? I try to just engage with them and actually I do want to know those answers. Or I try, I'm always trying to look for some fun new benefit that we can offer that all the staff would like. Like we have a, a person here that does acupuncture and e-recording so we can get staff treated in our wellness room that we have. And um, we have a really, I, I like people to come work here and then I want them to stay here until they retire. And so I have a sabbatical program where after five years of working here, they get additional sabbatical vacation and a sabbatical bonus. People love that. And five years goes just like that. And so having those unique benefits packages, that definitely helps, you know, maintain those great staff members that you have. But you mentioned the bad ones. How do you kind of go about retraining people? Do you have any tips on how how that will impact customer experience and what you do to sort of mitigate those problems? Well, and I've I've really learned that the hard way that if I have a staff member who does not fit with our cultures and it is not aligned with our goals, they have to go. And that's where I've learned the hard way because I connect with them and then I think, oh, you know, they really are kind of a problem staff member, but, you know, I talk to them and everything's going to be fine and, and we're going to try again. And even in 2019, I had all these just little drama problems in my office and I realized that it was these two people and I liked them a lot. They were you know, really fun people, but I let them both go at the end of the year. And then the whole next year without them was so great. And I said to my HR person, I said, is it kind of amazing how we just haven't had any of those little drama things, people running around the office saying, this person said that, this person said that, wah, wah, wah. And so my, uh, one of my colleagues said, oh yeah, you gotta be slow to hire and quick to fire. I'm probably quick to hire and slow to fire, but I'm learning and I'm working on it because one bad apple will spoil the whole bunch. I'm curious if you have any staff working remotely with COVID or are you, do you have everyone back in the office? How are you all handling that situation? 
I did have some in production that were able to re work remotely, but most of them actually chose and wanted to come back to the office. So right now I just have a handful out of my 120 employees, I have maybe three that work remotely and they live, you know, more than 45 minutes away. But for the most part, my closing teams really needed to be here. I just, I cannot, I don't feel secure about letting people handle the trust account from home. And so, but we do have uh, the most of, you know, either private offices or private workstations where the cube actually closes, the door closes. And so everybody has their six feet and can wear their mask. And, and luckily we really haven't had that many cases for all the locations we've had. So, um feel very blessed on that area. Yeah, for but, sure. But I, I have learned that we can go remote more. And if I did, I would probably push more production staff home. But I feel like closing staff need to be here. I think that makes sense. And that kind of echoes what I've heard other people tell me is that with their uh, processing teams, it's uh, pretty easy for them to work remotely. In, in what that they the things that they do and the fact that they have title production software that is cloud based so it's it's easy to pick up you know certain aspects of a file anywhere wherever they're at so i have one last question i'm just curious to know if you have any other customer experience tips anything that we didn't cover oh let me see i know i did had a few little notes here but um I would have to say, I know we talked about being creative for your customer. Um, I would have to say I could just go back a little bit onto those pain points. So probably one of the biggest things for me in the last couple of years is I'm like, what what is the biggest pain point that we have in the closing department? And I've discussed it with my closers and it's people showing up at the wrong place or going to the wrong location or the wrong time. So that was when we implemented our Close Simple plugin on SoftPro. And I'm sure there's other software companies that can do it too, but for us, it was a pain point. So what it did is it had a little texting notification. So it would text them a reminder the day before closing saying, don't forget your closing is here and here at this time. And that just took the problem away. So that had been a pain point in the title industry for me since I started in the business back when I was 18, because some title companies have their letterhead with this address, but yet the closing is going to be at this address and people just kind of glance at it or they just think it's at their realtor's office or they just assume things or don't open the mail. So I would say identifying what those pain points are and fixing them and asking your realtors and your lenders, what are the pain points for you? And then listen. Yeah, that's great advice. And I did want to ask too, you, you mentioned earlier on uh, you had trouble finding a benchmark when you were first implementing your NPS program. Can you share if you have now discovered what that benchmark would be for the title industry in case anyone here today wants to move forward with implementing their own NPS system? I think that we've set our benchmark at like 81 to 86% customer satisfaction. And honestly, I cannot remember why we did that, but my team at the time 
was it was important to them. And um, I mean, for me, I feel like we should be at 100% satisfaction. But there's a whole lot of other factors that go based on the sample size, which is how many people filled out the survey. And so um, I would have to say, feel free to look at my website because I think we have a thing that shows what our sample size or what our score is. And then if anybody wanted more information on that, they could just ask me. Awesome. Well, again, I want to thank you so much, Cindy, for your time. Cindy's company is Title Smart Inc. in Minnesota. And she also has her own website, cindycobel.com. You know, thanks. That was really fun. And if anyone wants to, I have some printable downloads on the cindycobel.com website. And um, and if there's there's like a checklist and there, there's a little social media class on there and, um, you know, there's some downloadables, like a workbook and things like that that go with the book. So, you know, if you have any questions, let me know. Thanks to Cindy for joining me today. If you'd like to learn more business tips from Cindy, be sure to check out her website, cindycobel.com. That's C-I-N-D-Y-K-O-E-B-E-L-E.com. Title Talks is produced by PropLogics and myself. Original music is by Chris.